Good morning, beloved. Our scripture reading this morning is coming to us from 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 26. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if... With your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, Strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face... He will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, 
or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. We'll turn with me once again in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, and we'll be looking again at a number of passages, but we'll look uh, a little bit here in 1 Corinthians 14. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if you'll turn there, uh, we'll be looking at some verses there starting in verse 29 in just a little bit. So this is our second lesson on the gifts for the church as we've been going through Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul has has started talking about the gifts, spiritual gifts there, and he's going to get into a little bit more detail that we're going to see. But we decided to, to take a little bit of time and talk more about the spiritual gifts uh, since there's a lot of debate about those, a lot of controversy and so forth. So, gifts for the church part 2. Now, I'll confess that there have been times in my life when I felt that it may have been better if we had never had some of these spiritual gifts like tongues, healing, miracles. And the reason why is that I have seen countless souls devastated by their counterfeits, counterfeits of those gifts. And Connie and I have seen on a number of occasions, we witnessed firsthand the devastation caused by people who try to bring signs and wonders, tongues, things like that into a church and end up splitting churches and leaving devastation in their wake. And so in the throes of such spiritual disaster, it's easy to wonder if those gifts were worth it after all. But stepping away from the devastation and then examining the Scriptures brings clarity and a fresh thankfulness to God for these temporary spiritual gifts. This morning we're going to focus on how God used those gifts in the life of the church. And today we'll just get to cover in a little bit more detail than we did last time the gifts that are or were temporary in the life of the church and we'll talk about that temporariness a little bit today as we look at their purpose but then we'll look a little bit more next time into some of the a uh, little bit deeper into the controversy but not too much not going to go too far into it but because we could spend many weeks on that and and we I'm eager for us to get back to Ephesians I want us to appreciate these gifts and and not even though you like me you may look at that and you you see the problems in, in our day that have come from the abuse of those gifts and the counterfeits of those gifts but to appreciate the true gifts that were given in the early church to appreciate their true purpose and then be able to praise God for his wisdom in giving those gifts to the church and to praise God for the provision that He made through them. Because if you think about it, we couldn't do ministry today if we didn't have all of, all that those gifts accomplished, all that God did through those gifts. So, what I hope we take away today is this. Give thanks to God that through a variety of temporary spiritual gifts... He provided for the early church. So through a variety of temporary spiritual gifts, He first provided for the early church. He delivered the vital New Testament Scriptures. And He launched strong, vibrant, 
local churches. We should. These are great reasons to give thanks to God for what He has done in giving these gifts. Now, much of the controversy surrounding spiritual gifts can be cleared up when we understand what their purpose was. What, what did God intend by them? And that's part of the problem today is that people go uh, away from the actual purposes that God ordained for them and intended for them, and that is what is causing them to go astray and to cause so much trouble. Some people have incorrectly assumed that You know, if we just had those displays of power like they had in the first century church, then that would convince people to believe in Jesus. That would persuade people to believe in Jesus. And and some of these movements have actually, that was the basis and, and the reasoning they gave for launching into this. And let's let's try to bring back in these signs and wonders and miracles. But Jesus taught that that's not true. Displays of power do not and cannot persuade someone to believe. And neither are we missing out on anything. And a lot of times folks will come into a church that doesn't practice those particular gifts and they will say things like, you know, oh, you're missing out on so much. Just think about how much more you could have because we can say... We're doing just fine. Actually, we're doing great by God's grace. Yeah, but you could have so much more, like you're missing out on something. But now that these temporary gifts have fulfilled their purposes, Peter declared that God has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Second Peter 1, verse 3. We have everything we need. We don't need anything else. We're not missing anything unless we go against God's purposes and convince ourselves we're missing something. We are not missing anything. And so let's talk about the purposes and some of these gifts. And we're just going to go into just a little bit of detail. I know, again, like I said, we could go into a lot more detail, but we're not going to do that in this series. But foundational gifts, let's talk about them first. Foundational gifts, uh, as the word suggests, they laid the foundation for the church. And these are, there are two gifts, apostles and prophets in particular. Ephesians 2.20, remember when we studied Ephesians 2, we pointed that out. So as God is building His church, as He's building His eternal dwelling place out of us, using us, Jesus was that cornerstone of the foundation, and then the apostles and New Testament prophets filled out the remainder of that foundation. And we'll go into more detail about apostle and prophet specifically in a couple of weeks when we get to Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. So I want to save more of that discussion for then. But just some brief notes. First, an apostle. He is an, or was an official delegate of Jesus Christ. An official delegate of Jesus Christ. And, and we're going to see that there's three different ways in which the term apostle is used. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks. But he's an official delegate of Jesus. They, among the things they did, they delivered to the church the gospel message. Remember Paul said, you know, if anybody, even an apostle comes to you and delivers a, a different message than we've already delivered, you know, then they are to be accursed. 
they deliver to the church the gospel message. And then other New Testament truths, they go along with that gospel. Remember the truth about the church that we studied in Ephesians 2 and 3, which had been a mystery in Old Testament times. But then the apostles and prophets revealed that, Paul said there in Ephesians 2 and 3, they revealed that to the church. So those New Testament truths that where God continues to build upon what He's revealing to His people throughout history and uh, up until the end of the first century. And now we have all that He wants us to know in this age. They also established and built up the earliest churches. And so apostles were sent out as delegates and they would plant churches, these early churches. A prophet. And a prophet, this prophecy and the person being a prophet requires a good bit more detail. Again, hold on a couple of weeks, we'll get there uh, just briefly. And, and I want, if you don't take anything else away from the discussion of a prophet, I want you to, to take this away. A prophet is somebody who receives a direct revelation from God. And they are to, to deliver that. Sometimes it's for that person themselves, or maybe they are to write it, like Old Testament prophets, for example, and some of the New Testament prophecies, uh, but also to deliver those even verbally to, in particular, the New Testament gift to the churches. <clears throat> and, and there's a lot of uh, discussion, in, in even in our circles, in reform circles, uh, the Puritans, for example, uh, they would say that what I'm doing right now is uh, the work of a prophet. Okay, so they would say that a prophet might tell the future, but then they also might preach. Okay, well, that isn't the way that the New Testament or the Bible, Old or New Testament, uses the term prophecy because the term prophecy always refers to someone receiving a direct message from God. I have never received a direct message from God, and I don't need a direct message from God. I have everything I need, as Peter says right here. And so I, as a preacher, expound on what prophets gave us. And so God spoke through prophets, and then we expound upon that. So now what's confusing about prophets is a lot of times we think in terms that if somebody's prophesying, they're, they're telling the future. Well, that's only part of what prophets did, Okay. Prophets also would deliver messages directly, again, directly from God. And they would deliver a message. It might be a call to repentance. It might be a rebuke. It might be an encouragement or a message of comfort for whoever was the intended recipients. And so we sometimes call that foretelling, the telling the future, or forthtelling, kind of a strange word, but... In other words, preaching forth, but giving, getting this message from God and then giving a message that's not telling the future. It's just saying, hey, you need to repent. Okay? That would be forth telling. So it's a good way to remember that. So it is God revealing truth through a spokesman. And then that leads us into revelatory gifts. And as I said last time, and you saw from those slides that the, the gift of prophet or prophecy falls into all three of the categories of temporary gifts. And so uh, you can think as we go, we're going through these, like, yeah, prophecy fits in there, okay? And that was kind of a broad gift and did a, a lot of things. So revelatory gifts, so where, where revelation is given. They were given for two reasons. One, to provide God's people with the New Testament Scriptures, okay? And that that was a major way in which they 
uh, operated, a major ministry that they had was to deliver the New Testament Scriptures to us. Okay. Think here what Peter said, 2 Peter one twenty one. That this is how it happened when God gave the Scriptures. When men moved by the Holy Spirit, they spoke from God. So, you see, that's something very different than what happens today uh, with, you know, as I'm preaching, I do ask for the Holy Spirit to fill me and use me to help you understand the Scriptures and even to stir you to greater love and good deeds, for example as I also pray that He fills you to receive His Word and hear what He wants you to say, what He wants you to know. And But these revelatory gifts, and when they were, were writing the Scriptures, the Spirit came upon them and He moved them in such a way that they actually wrote or spoke the Word of God. 2 Peter 1.21 The second purpose of revelatory gifts was this, to provide wisdom and guidance for local churches until the New Testament had been completed. So, think about it. So that that uh, new mystery that had been revealed by Paul about the church, it wasn't in the Old Testament, it wasn't revealed there, but then they revealed that. Okay, what, what, what are we going to do with that? How, does, how, does, how do we understand that? How does it fit in? Well, revelatory gifts would provide wisdom and knowledge from God Guidance that local churches needed until they had the New Testament Scriptures. We don't need that because we can find all that we need from the Scriptures that we have now. So let's talk about a few of those revelatory gifts. Again, we've already talked about prophecy. Distinguishing of spirits. This is tied to the gift of prophecy. For one, they're paired together in, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians in verse 10. But... Just as tongues, and we're going to see, are tied to the interpretation of tongues, so prophecy and the distinguishing of spirits are actually tied together. They go together. They are a pair. Uh, here in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, I want to read verses 29 to 32. I'll show you what I mean. 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty-nine, And let two or three prophets speak. Here Paul talking about the need for order in the churches. And then he says, and let the others pass judgment. That word pass judgment is also this word for distinguishing or discerning the spirits. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, let the first keep silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Okay, so in that passage there, all three terms that are used in chapter 12, verse 10. So you have prophet, or prophesy, spirit, and then this idea of distinguishing them. All three in both of those passages. And that confirms what we're saying here is that those two gifts, prophecy and distinguishing the spirits, go together. So what the person with this gift would do is they would distinguish between true and false prophecy. Okay. They were to distinguish or discern the spirit. They were, if somebody said, okay, in the church service, in, an early, in the early church, first century, and they say, I have a prophecy. And remember, he said only one at a time. Okay, so maybe, okay, you need to wait your turn till brother so-and-so finishes his prophecy. Okay, now you may speak. Well, there needed to be someone who would say, oh, wait a minute, that's not the Holy Spirit speaking through him. That's an unclean spirit. Or... 
It could be the man's own spirit. Think about the verse I quoted from just a minute ago, 2 Peter one twenty one. Men moved along by the Holy Spirit. He says that scriptures that were given were not an act of human will. It was not the person just saying, you know, I just have more insight than other people have. I have more knowledge than other people. I'm just smarter than other people. And I, I figured this stuff out. And so I'm going to write scripture or I'm going to prophesy. Okay. And so someone who has the gift of distinguishing spirits would say, oh, wait a minute, that's not coming from the Holy Spirit. Okay. And, and so we'll see a little bit later, Revelation 2, uh, 2, 2, the Ephesians, Jesus praised them for testing the spirits. That is to see, is this the Holy Spirit speaking? Okay. Next one, word of wisdom. This describes someone who received and delivered a divine message from God when special insight was needed. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 8, it's paired with the word of knowledge. I think those kind of go together. They're not the same thing. But because we will see that 1 Corinthians 13, knowledge would be done away with, I think that the, the word of wisdom would as well because they're tied together even though he doesn't mention the word word of wisdom in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul talked about this wisdom in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 to 16. He called it the mind of Christ. And basically what he's saying is that this is spiritual truth according to Christ, according to his mind. This is not human wisdom that I'm talking about because it's a spiritual gift. It's something that the Holy Spirit does supernaturally in someone to provide this spiritual wisdom. Then there's the word of knowledge I've mentioned. It is, in 1 Corinthians 13, associated with prophecy and tongues. Three gifts that he mentioned specifically that they would, they, they are temporary. They would end. This gift refers to someone who received a divine message from God when there was particular understanding of truth needed. Again, it's like, okay... We don't have the full New Testament yet if we're in the first century. And we need insight here. We need some knowledge here. And, and so it's a little bit different than prophecy in that regard. Now let's go on to sign gifts. Sign gifts authenticated God's spokesman until we had the New Testament Scriptures. And so those who speak for God, not directly, but someone who is preaching the Word, teaching the Word, as Bereans, we're supposed to go and, and look at what in order to know if they are speaking for God, basically? The Scriptures. We go to the Scriptures and see. You see, we have what we need to test them. But before we had the Scriptures, we needed these supernatural signs to authenticate. And so these supernatural signs authenticated Jesus. They authenticated the apostles. They authenticated the New Testament prophets. And they authenticated those who were preaching and teaching, as we touched on last time, 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty-two. Uh, there you have tongues and prophecy. And so I want to take a minute here for us to be encouraged to give thanks to God for the sign gifts in the early church. You see, what we have now in the New Testament Scriptures is a divinely certified record of many signs that assure us who were God's spokesmen. 
in the the most significant way like they could they could actually speak for god in ways that your pastors can't or you as a teacher can't or you as a parent can't you see we have a divinely certified record. I mean, people today say, oh, we, we want to still have signs and wonders. We want to authenticate my preaching ministry or something. Like, but it's not divinely authenticated. And there's so many charlatans out there that claim that. And, and so, how do we test them and all? Well, we don't need that. We have what we need. We, in the Scriptures here, we have the attestation of those who are spokesmen allowed to speak for God. Let's look at a few passages. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. A very important passage. It really helps us to wrap our heads around the reason that we have signs and wonders and tongues and things like that. Okay. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 12. Paul said, "...the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance." by signs and wonders and miracles. You see, he's saying this is how you can know that I am authorized to speak for God, to deliver the Scriptures, to instruct the churches on how they are to operate, what they are to believe. He was authenticated by those signs. Now, turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Here you have someone who was not an apostle in the, the sense, same sense as the twelve or Paul, as he makes clear in verse 3, because he says that he's among those who received from the apostles the truth of the gospel. And then so Hebrews 2.4, he says, God also bearing witness with them, the apostles, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. And there he uses a lot of different terms to drive this home to us that they were to authenticate. A few more things to talk about these signs. In the book of Acts, and this is a beautiful thing to trace through in Acts, and, and, and I encourage you to do that. I've given you on the slides the references, and you can go and, and read through those. But what happens in Acts, one of the major things that Luke is doing in the book of Acts, is he's showing how all of these different groups, these disparate groups, are brought together into the one church. And the way that that's done is to show, to authenticate that and confirm that each of these groups has received the one same Holy Spirit. I mean, we talked about that in Ephesians, right? That one Holy Spirit. And they've been brought into that one church. So, for example... It first happens to the Jews, okay? And then it happens to the Samaritans. Then it happens to Paul as an apostle, because remember he said, you know, I was born out of time. You know, I, I wasn't one of the twelve. But I have the same authority that they do. How? This is how. Okay, he's confirmed. It had, then the Gentiles are brought into the church and confirmed. They receive the Holy Spirit too. And then finally, John the Baptist's disciples. So some of his disciples, remember, that they were off in another city and, they, and you know, they're kind of you know, renegade a little bit. And so what happens is like, no, it, you need to be part of this movement, the church. This is, this is it. This is all there is. There's one church. And so they too uh, receive the Holy Spirit and are brought in to the one church. As I mentioned, Jesus commended the Ephesian church for putting so-called apostles to the test. Uh, some other things. Signs and wonders bore witness that Christ was sent from God the Father. A lot of references for that. 
those signs and wonders confirm the gospel that was preached by the apostles. But some things that they, one thing they can't do, they cannot, signs and wonders cannot persuade men to believe. Jesus said that in Luke 16, 31. You know, they've got Moses and the prophets. If they won't believe them, the miracles are not going to help them. Because we learn in John 4 with the, the woman at the well, her city, uh, her fellow city, uh, or people from her city, said, we believe now because of the word, words of Christ, not because that he knew your history. Uh, and then Romans ten seventeen, only the word of Christ can persuade someone to believe. Okay? Signs and wonders can't do that. Okay, so taking up a few of these real quick. <clears throat> First, kinds of tongues is, is how Paul says it. In other words, kinds of languages. These are, we're talking about biblical tongues. Biblical tongues were real human languages, okay? They, they were not gibberish. They were not, you know, some heavenly language or anything like that. They're real human languages. And, and so, just as in our day, uh, in, in the New Testament times, they were abused and they were also counterfeited. But, the New Testament is clear, these are all, the biblical tongues are real human languages. Uh, if you want, turn to Acts chapter 2, and or you can just listen as I read. So, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in, guess what, his own language. Okay? Now, if you'd like, turn to 1 Corinthians 14 again, back where we had started. 1 Corinthians 14 Verses 9 through 11. And here, where Paul's correcting their abuse and even counterfeit of tongues and prophecy, he says about tongues, 14.9, So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? Clear, in other words, intelligible. For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be to the one who speaks a barbarian. And the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also, you also, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound to the edification of the church. So in other words, you need to say things that are intelligible. And when he says, talks about barbarian, or other translations have like foreigner, the, the word barbarian, the Greek word, it comes from the sound that, you know, you hear somebody speaking a foreign language, and to them it just sounded like they were saying, bar, 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 bar. And so that's where the word barbarian came from, okay? Because they didn't understand what they were saying, Okay. And that's what Paul is saying, that if you're abusing the gift of tongues like this, you're going to sound like a barbarian, because it's not intelligible, and, and you know, because it's not even real. 
And what's interesting is that Paul uses three terms in these between these two passages, Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 14, to drive the Holy Spirit had them, had Luke and Paul, use these three words to show that we're talking about languages, real languages. So there's the term glossa. Uh, you hear or, or some people say glossolalia, you know, but glossa in Greek, that means either the tongue, the instrument in your mouth, uh, or the, the actual language that you're speaking or the sound that you're making, that's glossa. But then there's also in, in Acts 2, talks about, we, we heard him speaking in our own languages, and that's uh, dialectos. You can maybe guess we get dialect from that. It meant languages, okay, real languages. Here in 1 Corinthians 14, he actually uses a third term, phone, sound, voice, in other words, a language, okay? Things that we actually, and Paul's talking there about, they have to be intelligible, okay? So he's talking about real languages. Biblical tongues were real human languages used by God as supernatural signs to authenticate those preaching and teaching. That was a primary purpose of theirs. Okay. Paired with that is interpretation of tongues. That basically is the ability to interpret. So sometimes the person who had the gift of tongues, they may have the, the ability to interpret. So it's a language they didn't know naturally. Like... Like, I, I know a number of different languages, but it wouldn't be tongues unless it was something like, I, I don't know Japanese, you know, or other languages, you know, Arabic, I don't know those languages. And so, if I were speaking in tongues, it would have to be like one of those languages that I don't know, but then I might also have the ability to translate it by the work of the Holy Spirit, not by growing up with it or studying it, right? Okay. So, the interpretation of tongues. Another sign, sign gift, faith. This is supernatural faith. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, it's that faith so as to move mountains. You see, it's supernatural faith. It's not just faith to believe. It's not the faith that all of us are called to. This is something that goes beyond that. Think here about Paul. When he was shipwrecked, or just before he was shipwrecked, in Acts 27, Luke telling that story. And Luke tells us that an angel came to Paul and promised to him that there will be no loss of life. So, Paul, through that, was able to encourage the crew and the passengers. And so, John MacArthur said, about, said this, We see how Paul's great faith exercised in the midst of disaster. It laid hold of God's promise. And it brought hope and safety to everyone with him. And that's the kind of faith that, the, that he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. The gifts of healing... Actually, there are two plurals here. So literally, it's gifts of healings. Okay, so there's there's two plurals, and it, it shows it's pointing to the variety of needs or diseases that need to be healed, and the, the variety of methods of healing. So you think about the ways that people were healed. Sometimes, like Jesus, you know, he he made that you know a little bit of mud out of spittle and and dirt and put it on that guy's eye. Now, other times, you know, the woman that just touched the hem of his garment, and sometimes you know Jesus would touch them. Or same with the apostles. Sometimes they would just look intently and then pull them up, you know, by their arm. You know, there were sometimes they would touch them or handkerchiefs in different ways. Okay. But no one today has the gift of healing. Now, people will say then, oh, well, you don't believe that God can heal. And they love to say that. And you tell them, no, God does heal. He can heal and does heal. He doesn't do it through the gift of healing. Okay? There's a difference. 
So I believe that God does still still heal people today. It's just not through the gift of healing because we don't need that gift to authenticate anyone. Okay, that's what the gift was. Paul healed people to confirm his apostleship we saw, to confirm the gospel. But it's interesting. He didn't heal himself. He didn't heal Epaphroditus, even though he almost died. And he didn't heal Trophimus. And he desired all three of those very much. But he didn't heal them. Why? Because he didn't need to... to because the purpose was to authenticate himself, and he'd already done that. So it wasn't just something that you just get to do whenever you feel like it. It had a purpose. Then the effecting of miracles in a similar way. A miracle is when God works by going contrary to the natural laws that He created. Okay, these are not outside of God. He created these natural laws. And then a miracle is when He goes against that. He works contrary to that. God does work miraculously today, but not through the gift of miracles. Some examples of miracles. Wine requires grapes and fermentation, the fermentation process, yeast. Jesus created wine with just water. No process, no time, no grapes. That's a miracle. And John tells us that that miracle began the signs authenticating Jesus as the Messiah. Peter even said the same thing about Jesus. He preached to the Jews that Jesus is, quote, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, Acts 2.22. And as Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel, the Lord was, quote, bearing witness to the word of His grace. He's confirming the gospel. He's confirming the truth, apostolic truth they were delivering. And He said, granting that signs and wonders be done by them. That's how He bore witness to the word they were preaching. So, to remind us, encourage us, give thanks to God that through a variety of temporary spiritual gifts, He provided for the early church. He delivered to us the New Testament Scriptures. And He launched strong, vibrant local churches. You know, they had problems just like we do. But they were strong. They were vibrant. And we inherit that.